started, uh, I do want to open us up just in another word of prayer. I, I know that some people right now are going through a lot. We have a lot of people that are in the hospital. We have people that are sick. We have also other things that maybe we're going through. Maybe, hey, shocker, maybe our marriage isn't great right now. Maybe something else is going on. Um, and maybe stuff is going good right now. Uh, I, I uh, love the fact that Jared and his family are in Montana, but I, I realize I, I, we usually see each other on Monday, and I was like, oh, I missed him. And like, I was happy for him, but it, what a great opportunity to, to uh, be a family and be around each other in that kind of setting. So I don't know what's on your heart right now, but I want us to go to God and lean into, into him and trusting that. And maybe right now uh, it's someone that's, uh, that's sick. Maybe it's someone that is far away from God, that you're like, I can't say anything else. We talked a couple of weeks about, about the different level of soil. Maybe they have really hard soil or they have many weeds in their soil. I pray that God clears it out. Because God is the only one that can do anything in that. So we're going to take a moment and just pray for that. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just pray for wherever anyone's at right now is that they go to you. That they go to the throne. That they, they, they lay everything at your feet. As we, may we just not sing these songs. May we live these songs. May we live in a way that we give everything to you. And I now pray for anyone that right now is what's on other people's hearts is those that are in the hospital, be with them, bring peace, bring, bring wisdom, bring love and caring. For those that are traveling, bring safety. And those right now that are struggling with you, feel far from you, may, may you bring them close. And wherever they're at, I pray that we are obedient to your calling and what you want. We love and praise you, and thank you for the opportunity to come directly to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us today to see this big picture that we're in. We're, what a great story from, from the Bible and from Genesis 1 to, to where we are today. And I want us to see the big picture. And, and I'm going to start by this by saying that uh, when I was growing up, most of you know that I love sports, okay? That's a given. I love basketball, but I love basketball so much I ran cross country and track. So I ran, I did sports because uh, I wanted to be in the best shape. And I, I realized I was pretty good at it. And so my dad and mom, they both really loved that I did that as well growing up. And so when they, when they saw that, uh, what was one thing on that, like you could watch running on TV? When I was growing up, nothing except the Olympics. Every four years, you got to watch the Olympics, right? You could see the race. You could do all that. So in 1996, where were the Olympics held? Atlanta. Nice try. Atlanta. She said it with so much confidence. I was like, am I wrong? <laughs> Loved it. LA. Uh, so it was, it was Atlanta. And so what they do is... They light the flame in Greece, correct? And then they have to bring it to the land. So what it does is it gets dropped off into a city, 
and it, or taken off to Greece. It goes on a plane. I don't know how that all works. I don't know what they do without the smoke alarms going off. But they bring it over to the USA, and they travel through, and it goes through all these states and all this kind of stuff. And then it ends up in Atlanta, so the flame there represents, you know, all the unity of all the competitors and what it's going. So it's part of this long, big story and journey. Do you know where the flame went through in 1996? Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana. Do you know who tried to apply to carry the flame for part of it? I was too young. My dad. So my dad applied because he was taking all the glory still. So he applied and he ends up, and so they were trying to get different people. You could apply to it and you had to be recommended and there were certain uh, uh, like parameters that you had to do, people in the community, uh, what could you do? And I think it was by the last vote, my dad got it. So on a cold, cold night, because I remember it, my dad got to not just hold it, he got to well, you get to purchase a replica one as well, or the one that they put the flame in. You can purchase it. So they, when they pass the torch, there's a, you actually get a torch, and they pass the torch along, and it lit up, and you should have seen my father's face. It's only like a quarter of a mile. He, it was like he was running on the cloud. It was like, and he was soaking it all in like he had won the gold medal. It's like, whoa! Whoa, he had, he was conquering, he was taking him, he was going along on the journey as it was. And then at some point he had to pass it along. I want us to realize that right now we have been given the flame from what has been happening in the past of what has happened through the beginning of time from David to, to Abraham, to David, to Jesus. And now we continue to carry on the flame today. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with the Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit and what is happening. We're going to be talking, and point number one is this. It's the Tower of Babel and Pentecost. And so Pentecost means that this, this is a Christian, the, now the Christian festival of the descent of the Holy Spirit. On the disciples of Jesus, after his ascension, and it's held usually the seventh day after Easter. And so what is happening here is before the Pentecost happens, before the Holy Spirit, people are gathering for the, fest, the Feast of Weeks. So people are gathering in Jerusalem for this Feast of Weeks. And we'll get to this in a second, but being in Jerusalem is very important because in Acts 1, Jesus says to go to Jerusalem and uh, you'll hopefully see why. In Jewish cultures, there's three big things. Usually, th three big outlooks to lead to, and this makes sense, to why Israel is Israel. Okay, Most of Christians believe it's the apple. You eat the apple of Ad Adam and Eve. They ate the apple, and sin has entered. That's correct. That is in Genesis uh, 3, 6 through 7. It says, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. That's the fall. But also in Jewish culture, they also have two other huge impacts of what has created. It's a, it's a bigger story. It's the, that's the fall. That's the sin. But then it leads to the next one is Noah and the flood. 
Noah's the flood, because basically what has happened in Genesis 6 here and 11, it says, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. And so basically God says, I'm going to have to only use Noah. Noah was a righteous man. I'm going to fix things because the world had been so corrupt, and so now I'm going to fix things through Noah. And then the third thing is the Tower of Babel. Now, the Tower of Babel, as a whole, has a lot to do with what's coming up in Acts 2. In Genesis 11, 1 through, 19, uh, 1 through 9, if you want to write that down to look at it later, it says in the first verse, and this is very key, it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And so it's all the same. And so the people at that time say, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So now they're like, hey, let's go make a name for ourselves. Let's go make a name for ourselves. And then in, but then this is what God says in verse 7. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not be able to understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from, where, uh, from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. This is why it's called Babel. Because there, there the Lord confused the languages of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now, if you do a quick story, most people look at the Tower of Babel as it being as, uh, as King Nimrod building this tower of pride, of, like, of that. And so he studies these people of pride. God comes in and says, well, I, we can't do that. Let's confuse their language. Let's change that. And basically, that's how the story goes, so don't be full of pride. Well, that's part of what's happening, but it's not the full story. So, to get the full story, let's look back at what was just happened. Noah and the flood. So, at Genesis and Noah at the flood, this is God's command to the people each time. It says, uh, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They have been given a command to be fruitful and multiply, and to fill the earth. What do the people do after Noah? They gather. (laughs) They do the opposite. They gather, and they are like, we are going to make a name for ourselves. We are going to do this. This is a a, in defiance. We are going to build it up to the gods. We are going to become like gods. We are going to build ourselves up as the tower. They did the opposite. They disobeyed. As Dr. Heiser puts it, humanity had shunned Yahweh and his plan to restore Eden through them. So he would shun them and start again. So that is why he disperses them. It's also said in multiple other verses, but it's really clear if you want to write this one. Deuteronomy 32, 8 through 9 says, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So at this point, Dr. Heiser puts it this way, and I really like the way he uh, writes this. He says, Yahweh, in effect, decided that the people of the world's nations were no longer going to be in relationship with him. He would begin anew. He would enter into a new covenant relationship with a new people, 
that hadn't even existed yet, and that would be Israel. The people are now scattered. So now what has happened, they build this, and God says, fine, you want your own gods, you want your own desires? Here, it gives them new language, and then what they do is they go and disperse. And then what's really interesting is in the next chapter, what happens? God finds Abram. God already is coming back to restore. And he says this in the next chapter. God promises this. All nations of the earth will be blessed through Abram and his descendants. Already in Genesis 12, this is happening. Already the disbursement in 11, God has already got a plan to bring everyone back together through his plan. So that gets us to Acts 2. Okay, so there's the disbursement. It gets us to Acts 2. There's some very key connection points that are just in, in used by words alone is like the wind and the fire above. Uh, that's used the rushing in, uh, in Acts 2, verse 2, it says uh, the rushing wind. And also the tongues of the fire appear them. Uh, those, are, those are huge representations of images from the Old Testament uh, from Acts 2. The whirlwind was used from Elijah in 2 Kings 2. And 11 to Job in chapter 38 and 40. And in the Old Testament, also fire was used as an identifier of the presence of God or a divine being of service to God. Examples are Judges 13 and Psalms 104. So when those images are used in Acts 2, they are used of saying, this is a divine moment. And I think most of us get that. This is a very divine moment. But there are also divine moments connecting the Old Testament. When they're using this, people are seeing these images, are reading this. They're thinking, okay, this is what happened in the Old Testament. It is all connected, like we talked earlier, carrying the flame. This is what is going on. The disciples in the 120 are to preach the good news of Jesus and connect them to the throne of God. And that's what they are seeing. So at this point in Jerusalem... Jerusalem is a very key point. Why is Jerusalem very important? It is considered holy ground. It is considered the holy ground of what is happening where everything begins. That's why Jesus is asking the the disciples to stay there. So if you look back in Acts 2, 9 through 11, all those wonderful, some very hard to pronounce words, that's why I stick with Egypt, and, you know, Rome, and, you know, Asia, you know, the simple ones, all those, those are all countries that have been disinherited by God at the Tower of Babel. Those have all been like, fine, you want your own way, you want your own thing, there you go. Now, these people, Jewish people have come back to Jerusalem, and they, there's other people in this area, and all of a sudden, what is happening at Pentecost? These people have now traveled in for the Feast of Weeks, and they are all there. And all of a sudden, they see these 12, and I would say 120 people speaking in tongues. And tongues are basically divided, are more coherently, the way I would describe it, is they are distributed by God, so other people are starting to hear other people talking in their own language. How shocking would that be when you're like, I know these guys can't do that. Like, I know, I know Pastor John, and I know he cannot do that. They're seeing something very unique, and then they're understanding it. 
they are understanding this language and this communication of what's happening. And it's blowing their minds. And now they're experiencing what the disciples are talking about. They're praising Jesus. They're praising, they're telling stories of who Jesus is and what he's about. And they're, 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 this is a miracle. They're seeing that. So they are celebrating on the holy ground. So what happens after this moment? They go home, correct? They're going to go home. They're going to leave Jerusalem. This is the start of when the Holy Spirit came through and now God is now plan is to go out to all the nations to bring everyone back to him. That everyone now can be under God's authority. God is reclaiming the nations. The Tower of Babel's disinheritance is going to be reversed by the message of Jesus, the second Yahweh incarnate, and his spirit. The nations will be his again. It's, it's huge to get that, that there's this connection point all the way. And why is this so important? Why the, the reconciliation, the being back through the God and the gospel and all this, God's children would now be filled with the Spirit. They're all going to be filled with the Spirit. Why is this so important? We have to look back at the Old Testament prophets and look at what they said, why this is important. And point number two is this. Old Testament prophets looked forward for God to pour out His Spirit. If you were in Sunday school this morning, they talked a lot about the Spirit in the Old Testament. They talked a lot about it being right at the Genesis 1, verse 2. The Spirit hovered over the, the waters. And it, there's multiple others. When Samson was filled, the Spirit came more at specific times and into, into people, but it wasn't there all the time. And so what's it say, though? And uh, I love these verses. If you want to write these down, uh, Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, and I'll, re I'll repeat these, Joel 2, 28 through 29, and Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. These are just some of what is in the Old Testament of talking about what is going to come. And the reason why I say this is at that point, they are carrying the torch. They are carrying it forward, and God is giving them a glimpse. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says this, then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony, heart, uh, the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. I will put a new spirit within them. Ezekiel 36, 26, 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Joel 2, 28 through 29 says, after this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. I will pour, even pour out my spirit on the male and the female slaves in those days. And Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, 
though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their gods, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. This is a great representation of the Spirit coming. I, I got to tell the story. My wife knows the true story. Yes, before her, I did go on another date. <laughs> As you can tell, it, that date didn't go well. Thank you. God had it all planned out. And my mom might have played a part in it, too. Uh, I hadn't even known Danielle. This was way before I met her. But I decided uh, I was uh, talking, and we were going to go to a movie. And so we were going to go watch the movie The Sixth Sense. So this Sixth Sense movie is very old. So no spoilers, no big, like, you can't come up to me. I've never seen it. No, whatever. Okay? The whole point of the movie is there is a huge twist at the end like huge twist so i was like uh well i'm gonna go i'll be back at this time we're gonna do uh, do whatever i'm just gonna go there i'll be right back and um just watch the movie and i was like i'm super excited my mom and dad here's the funny thing they don't watch movies you know i sort of like movies i got in i like them they don't really watch movies and so my Mom goes to me and goes, what movie are you watching? And I'm like, oh, we're going to watch The Sixth Sense. With my mom then responds being like, oh, could you believe that the lead character was dead the whole time? <laughs> no, mom. No, I couldn't. Because that's the whole point of the movie to go watch the movie and actually experience, and then at the end, realize. So now when I'm sitting and watching the movie, I can't tell the other person, because it will ruin the whole movie. But I saw the movie the whole way. I knew. I knew. I, had, I saw it. Now the movie looked totally different from my perspective than hers. I could see the full vision of it. I could see the bigness of it, of what God's plan was. I could see it where she couldn't. It didn't make sense until the final reveal. So as you can see, the Spirit, and the reason why I'm saying this is the Spirit is a vital part of God's plan. In the Old Testament, they longed for it. Do you see how they longed for it? They couldn't quite grasp it all. But we have this great gift. I get to see, I saw it, what we're at right now. We get to have the Holy Spirit with us 100% of the time. All the time. Not just some of the time. They longed for that. We, do we long for it? Do, do we realize our, how lucky we are? I wouldn't say lucky, blessed we are. I would say, do we realize how fortunate we are to have the full canon of Scripture and the whole Holy Spirit to teach us, lead us, 
guide us, to correct us, to put guilt on our hearts to make things right. Point number three is we don't quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 22 says this, Rejoice always, pray consistently, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. Uh, another version is don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, I asked the elders to get, you know, a blowtorch, but they said it wasn't in the budget. So I just used a candle. I was just joking there. Don't really think that I asked for a blowtorch. But the mere fact, it did cross my mind. So I know this is very small. Blowtorch would have been a lot cooler. I'm not going to lie. I would have probably made it really big on YouTube. But, you know, you see the flame. And the flame is a great representation of the Holy Spirit. It's used multiple times. And, but how many times do we quench it? How many times do we leave it over here and walk away from it? The farther away, I, I, I can't really, can you smell it? The farther away, you're not really close to it. And then how many times, you know, can you overwhelm this, this and you just, what you do is you just come so close but then all of a sudden, you're not really, you just quench it. You don't really listen to it, and it just sort of fades out. We can't quench the spirit. I know a blowtorch would have been a lot cooler, but I think that, deter that shows what it is. Is we have to provide an environment in which we can let it burn brightly that it can burn. I like how David Guzik's commentary says, the, the command is based on a familiar image of the Holy Spirit as a fire or a flame. Though there is a sense in which fire cannot be created, we can provide the environment in which it can burn brightly, yet a flame can be extinguished when it is ignored or no longer tendered, or when the flame is overwhelmed by something else. Where in your life are you extinguishing the Spirit. I think a lot of us quench the Spirit a lot. It's how we react, react to certain situations, how we complain, how we get angry, how we get mad, how we get discouraged, how we take control from God, how we think that if it feels right, then that's the right plan, God, not your plan Do you lose your temper? Do you get anxious? Do you worry? Do you do things that are not fruit of the Spirit? It's true. That is us quenching it. That is us not listening to it. That is us going far away from it. Wearsworth's commentary says, Fire speaks of purity, power, light, warmth, and if necessary, destruction. When the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and churches, we have a warmth of love in our hearts, light for our minds, and energy for our wills. 
He melts us together so that there is a harmony and cooperation. And He purifies us so that we put away sin. The fire of the Spirit must not go out on the altar of our hearts. We must maintain and devote to Christ that motivates and engages our lives. And I I put some the green thing just for final notes. You know, today, I want us to see the big picture of where we're at, of the flames, of the of walking, just like my, my dad's story of carrying the torch, of where we are. It's a beautiful plan. God's plan is huge and it's big. You know what is really crazy about it? You're a part of it. You are part of the plan. All of you, if you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, died and rose again, you are part of that plan. What an amazing gift that we are part of being part of the Holy Spirit. He has graciously offered His Son, Jesus. He has graciously offered us uh, the forgiveness of sin. He has graciously offered His beautiful Word of the Bible. He has graciously also offered a Spirit that, to guide us. We have been given everything we need to live a godly life. In order to to fan the flame of the Spirit, we must engage with God's Word. We must be consistent in that. We must honor Him in that. And we must remember that God has sent us the Holy Spirit to be our helper. And all of us, all of us today have a helper. And one thing I want us to really realize is that there's the Bible and the Holy Spirit. They will not contradict each other. So many people want to know how to live in the Spirit. How to, how to do that. How to, how to do that. Well, the main problem is, is a lot of times they don't know the Word. And a lot of people know the Word, but they always don't live in the Spirit. Because they, they might know the information, but they don't know how to love. When I was growing up, I liked video games. I was a boy, so of course I liked some video games. But I was in the age where things started to get really cool. You could build your own player. And one of them was a baseball player. And I always played for the Chicago Cubs. I was like playing. But when you build your player, you were only getting certain amount of points to work with. So you can make your guy run really fast, but he couldn't catch anything. You can make him hit the fastball, but that curveball better not swing at it because you're in trouble. You were only given so many points, and then over the seasons, you could build your guy up. I think a lot of us, like putting something all the way, are not. I'm asking us to go all the way on both. Let the Word and the Spirit guide every aspect of our life. Everything. They are built together. And so much is how do we look at that in our own lives. Let us be a church that is rooted in the Scriptures and led by the Spirit.
When people look at Living Hope or look at you, they're like, man, that person is led by Scripture and they're led by the Spirit. I think so many times we forget that the same Spirit that got Jesus to rise again is within inside you. Some of us don't really fully, and I'm asking you, we need to start. We need to, do, it's all in. Because that's what's in the scripture. That's what scripture teaches. And to be effective, we need to know the Bible and know the Spirit. Some of us right now, as we are reading, as we're reading, soak it up. Build it in. I tell a story of, uh, I was at a meeting the other day, about two weeks ago, and this we were having a conversation about knowing that you're saved. Someone was really struggling with it. And I can tell you this. I hadn't, I can't tell you even the verse that I said, but I just said a verse that I know I had read a while back, like years ago, and it came to my mind. I am telling you, it ain't John Pels. John Pels could not do that. It was the Holy Spirit putting a word on my heart at that time. But the only reason why I could do that is because I had read it in the past. And what is that for you right now? And I am asking you to not, not just settle for building a, a baseball player that can hit the fastball and not the curveball. I'm asking you to be all in. To be a church that loves the scripture with everything and is led by the Spirit. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. And I pray that all of our lives, that we continue to be just led by you. I know uh, what I love is that you never contradict yourself. And we can know that by being in the Spirit, by going to you through prayer, through fasting, and going to you and being led by that. And what a beautiful thing that we are in this big journey, and this is where we are right now. We are so blessed to have you be the Spirit that leads us, that guides us every day, every moment. And I pray that we don't quench that out. And I pray that we rush to you instead of our own fleshly desires. Be with us as we continue to worship as we continue to come to you in all that we do, we love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.